there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. We are going back to Bethel. Abraham came to Bethel, you remember, and had his encounter with God, met the Lord. God did something mighty in his life. There came a time Abraham had to come back to Bethel. Then we visited with Jacob, and Jacob met God at Bethel. Oh, this is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God, he said. Wouldn't you think after an encounter like that, you would never be the same? Wouldn't you think after a moment like that, you'd never wander into the world again? You'd never want to stray from God again? I'm thinking about the words of that hymn. I may sing for it's over tonight, you know. I'm thinking about the words of that hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's why you have meetings like this, because we wander. You may not get out of church, but you, you may not be exactly where you ought to be with God. And so it's not just about coming to Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven once. It is about coming back to Bethel, back to the Lord again and again and again. You don't need to get saved again, praise God. Jesus died for us once and rose once and saves us once and once is enough because he gives us everlasting life. But I want to tell you, as surely as you have a relationship with God, you must work constantly to come back into fellowship with him. And so with that in mind tonight, I want you to go with me back to Bethel. Would you open your Bible again, please, to the book of Genesis? We remember that we started early in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, with Abram going to Bethel, and then Genesis 13 with Abram going back to Bethel. And then we came to Genesis chapter number 28, and Jacob came to Bethel, and now we come to Genesis chapter number 35, where he must come back to Bethel. In fact, let's just do something. Would you... Would you hold in one hand Genesis 35 and just go back a few pages to where we left off earlier today in Genesis chapter 28. Let's read the end of Genesis 28 because like bookends on Jacob's story, you're going to see Bethel. Look at Genesis 28. Remember, he came to the gate of heaven, verse 19. He called the name of that place Bethel. The name of that city was called Luz at the first. And look at verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now, I want you to look very carefully, please, very carefully at his vow in verse 20 and verse 21 and verse 22, because I must confess to you, I think this may be one of the most man-centered, selfish vows I've ever heard in my life. How many of you ever made a deal with God? 
And it begins with an if. (laughs) If God will be with me, God already said he'd be with you. If the Lord will keep me in this way that I go, you really think God's not willing to keep you in the way that you go? If the Lord will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. All right, how many of you have eaten today? Wave at me just a second. How many of you are already thinking about what you're going to eat when the preacher stops preaching tonight? Come on, be honest now. Sure. And I'm looking around. Best I can tell, everybody's got raiment to put on, for which we are all very grateful to God. Look at verse 21. I want to come back to my daddy's house in peace. If, if, if. Lord, if you'll do all this for me, then you'll be my God. Isn't God patient with us? All the things sometimes I've said to the Lord that were more about me than they were about him. All the times it was more about the experience, the emotion, the event than it was about the God of that place. It happens in special meetings. I'm in a special meeting every week of my life. And you know, the danger of special meetings, we start thinking the meetings are the special thing. The meetings aren't the special thing. God's special. There's nothing special in the preacher. I'm sorry the music was wonderful, but there's nothing special in the singers. No, the only special thing in this room tonight is Jesus. And if you fall in love with people and you fall in love with a place and you fall in love with an emotion and you fall in love with some euphoric experience and you say, this is it, you're going to be a very disappointed Christian. Because that'll wear off tomorrow. But God said he'll go with you everywhere. Jacob is going to have to learn this. Now, if you scan the chapters from the end of chapter 28, just scan chapter 29 and 30 and 31 and 32 and 33 and 34. This is the story of Jacob. And did you know that between Genesis 28 and Genesis 35, where we're coming to tonight, 30 years transpired. Amazing how quickly 30 years can go by, isn't it? I'm standing here thinking right now, 30 years ago, I was 17 years old. I was a young preacher headed off to Bible college and just a kid starting out serving the Lord. And 30 years, is that possible? 30 years? And some of you young people think, oh, I got a long time. Brother, you're going to turn around. 30 years is going to be gone. And how many of you know a lot happens in 30 years? In 30 years... Jacob had served for Laban twice, in fact, for Leah, for Rachel. In 30 years, he had wrestled with the angel. You remember that? Till break of day. In these 30 years, he'd had his name changed. He's not Jacob now. He's Israel. He's no longer deceiver, supplanter, trickster, schemer, conniver. He's prince with God. He walks with a limp now. Look at him carefully, please. Because everywhere he goes, he walks with a limp. Don't feel sorry for him. It'd be all right. God touched him. God touched the hollow of his thigh. And somebody said, that's sad. The poor old boy had to walk with a limp the rest of his life. No, no, that was a good reminder to him every day. Every day he leaned on his staff and limped and halted on his thigh. And every step he took was a reminder, I need God. I tried to make my own way, and God had to show me that my way wasn't good enough. I needed his help. That all happened in 30 years. In 30 years, he's been reunited with his brother. Remember his brother that he, he tricked and got, got his birthright and got his blessing? And you talk about some bitterness between brothers. 
They came out of the womb fighting, and they've been fighting all that time. But now they've been reunited. And wouldn't you know it, isn't God good? God brought peace between them. God's always working on the other end. All of that transpired between these two visits to Bethel, between the first time at Bethel and the second time that he goes back to Bethel. All of this has transpired, and this is what's really interesting. After all of this, he still seeks to go his own way. And don't look so pious. We do the same thing. You ever think about how good God has been to you? Paul said, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I've discovered, you can can preach on the judgment of God and the justice of God and the wrath of God, and you should. And there is a real hell for sinners to flee from, and there is definite chastening for backslidden believers. There's no doubt about all of that. But I think one of the most powerful things in all of Scripture revealed about our God that melts the cold heart and turns the wayward sinner back to God is the goodness of God. Are you breathing right now? That's God's gift to you. Did you have health to get out of bed today? That's God's gift to you. I want you to just ponder a moment how good God has been to you, Jacob, because God did everything you asked him to do. God kept you in all your ways. God was with you everywhere you went. God gave you bread every day to eat. You never went hungry. God put raiment on your back every day. You you never went naked. God put a roof over your head every day. And God has brought you back to your father's house in peace. What a great God we serve. And wouldn't you think he would have made a beeline for Bethel? That's what I would think. Matter of fact, that's what he was supposed to do. I'll prove it to you. Go back one or two pages in your Bible to chapter 31. Mark this in your Bible. Genesis 31, verse number 13. He's leaving Laban. He's leaving that far country. And look at verse number 13. God's talking to him. Don't you like it when God talks to you? And God says, I am the God of what, church? Mark that in your Bible. I am the God of Bethel where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest to vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. You know what I think God was saying to him? Get back to the altar. Get back to the place of prayer. Get back to the place of fellowship and communion. You've been down here long enough. Get up and get on with it. Get back to Bethel. The sad reality is, instead of going to Bethel, he goes to Shechem. I wish I had time to show you this. But every evil thing that came into Jacob's family happened in Shechem. You want to talk about immorality, idolatry? You want to talk about some of the most ungodly, nasty stuff you've ever heard about in your life that disrupted a family and brought shame on a heritage? It all happened in that place. Do you know what chapter that is? That's Genesis 34. Right before he goes back to Bethel in Genesis 35. Would you like to know the difference between Shechem and Bethel? Would you like to know the difference between Genesis 34 and Genesis 35? In Genesis 34, there is not a single mention of God, not one. Think of a whole chapter, no mention of God. In Genesis 35, God is referenced ten times. Did you know God's people can live ungodly lives? 
Let a preacher blow through town. Let him preach on the sodomites and the abortionists and all the wicked people out there doing the sins we're not committing. And everybody says, amen, preacher. Plow right there. Give it to them. But wait a minute. What about our sins? What about our wicked hearts? What about our ungodliness? What about our sins of the Spirit? What about the things we dress up and carry to church and excuse? What about the, the, the sins of good Christians? What about those? Ungodly means living with no regard for God. And the truth is, you can be a member of a church, you can work in a church and be ungodly because you're living your life the way you want to live it instead of the way God wants you to live it. And I'm going to tell you, the only thing that will fix that, you've got to get back to Bethel. And so we come to our text in Genesis 35 and verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. <laughs> I just want to pause here a moment and say, Lord God, thank you for your mercy. Do you understand God already told him once when he's down there at Laban's house, get up and get back? And he doesn't go there. And he makes a mess of things. And he must deal with the consequences. But isn't it just like our God, the God of second chances, the God of all mercy, the long-suffering one to say to us, I know you've blown it, but come on back anyhow. Arise. Go up to Bethel. This is interesting. And dwell there. He's visited there before, but God says, I want you just to stay there. You know, one of the dangers is we start thinking that we visit the presence of God. God didn't want you to visit his presence. God wants you to live in it. People say, well, I, I go to church on Sunday. Well, congratulations. So you want God in one day of your life a week. Is that what you want? No, no, I need him every day. I need him every hour. So I don't just need him on Sunday. I need him all week long. Somebody says, well, preacher, I, I do that every day. Every morning when I get up, I read the Bible for 10 or 15 minutes and, and say a prayer and then embark on my day. Yes, but do you think about him through the day? The psalmist said, seven times a day do I praise thee for thy word. Evening, morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. God doesn't want to be a part of part of your day. God wants to be a part of all of your day. God wants you to abide in him, to abide in Bethel, to dwell in the holy presence of God every day. Notice what he's to do when he gets there and make there an altar. Sound familiar, anybody? Remember Bethel, place of prayers, always symbolized by the altar? Make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Look, there could be somebody in here tonight that's never been saved. You can't go back to something you were never at the first time. So I think sometimes we're trying to get people to come back to church and back to the Christian faith and all that kind of thing, and they were never really regenerated to start with. You must be born again. If you've never been saved, you've got to start there because there is no life apart from new birth. But tonight, I'm speaking in a big way to those who are gathered on this Lord's Day evening who profess faith in Jesus. How many of you really believe that you've been saved? Raise your hand, big and high. Hold up, big and high. Unashamed of it? You really believe you've been saved? I'm talking to you. And I want to say to you, Jacob is a picture of a man who lived in, in a faithless kind of way, a fleshly kind of life, until finally he realized the only way he could live in power and victory was to live every day in the presence of Almighty God. I'm not preaching today for today. I'm preaching today for tomorrow and the next day and the next and the next and six weeks from now and six months from now and six years from now and the rest of your life. 
The result of this meeting will not be seen in this room. The result of this meeting will be seen in whether God's people learn that we must go back to Bethel every day of our life. I have a precious prayer partner, a friend in Canada that writes me every day. He's written me three times today. He told me years ago, he said, every time I pray for you, I'm going to write you an email. You don't have to respond, but I'm just going to write you an email to tell you what I'm praying for you at that moment. I get emails all through the night and all through the day, and he's probably praying right now. And every email closes the same way. It always closes with this statement, walk by Calvary every day. It's been really good for me. See, some of you, you, you visited Calvary long ago and trusted Jesus as your Savior, and I thank God for that. But you're living on yesterday's manna, and you're talking about some experience that happened 40 years ago. I'm going to tell you what you need. You need a fresh visit to the cross to see what Jesus did for you. You need to get back in fellowship with God. You need to get up, arise, and go back to Bethel just like Jacob did. So the question is, How? Let me show you three truths tonight. They come right here from this story. Let's just walk through it. Look at verse number two. Then Jacob said unto his household, to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. So here's the first thing. Would you write this down? Three words tonight. Number one, there was preparation. If you're going to come into the presence of God and live in fellowship with God, you don't do that haphazardly. That doesn't happen on accident. It happens on purpose. And it begins with preparation. By the way, the preparation is not primarily physical. I'm going to show you this in just a moment. It is spiritual. He had to get right with God. See, we want Washington to get right with God. We want all the politicians to straighten up. We want all the wicked people in Hollywood to get right. And I want to just remind you of something tonight. Judgment must begin at the house of God. I'm glad for all the people who got saved today, but primarily revival is not lost people getting saved. It's saved people getting right. And when saved people get right, more lost people get saved. The preparation begins with us. Did you know revival is not hard? I used to hear preachers preach and talk about revival, and they almost made it sound so spooky and unattainable that you just thought, well, we can never have revival. Friend, let me ask you a question. Do you think revival, that just means revive life again, do you think new life is hard for the God who gave life to start with? Do you think revival is hard for a God that breathed breath into Adam to start with? Do you think revival is hard for a Christ who stood in a cemetery and said, Lazarus, come forth, and he came out on those grave clothes? Do you really think that revival is hard for a Christ who got up out of his own grave and came out alive forevermore? Do you think revival is hard for him who took us who were dead in our trespasses and sins and quickened us and made us alive? I tell you, revival isn't hard at all. The hard thing is getting us ready for revival. And this, this is the preparation. What's it look like? Well, let me show you. First of all, you've got to get your heart right. He says in verse number one, get up. Arise, go up, get up. We get stuck, don't we, in our routines. We get stuck in our ruts. Vance Havner said a rut's just a grave with both ends knocked out of it. 
Some of us are so stuck in our religious motions and mechanics, we have become religious machines. We're robots for Jesus. That's what we are. And we know how to say amen at the right spot and sing the hymn, even raise a hand and say an amen or a God bless you to somebody and put on a good show. It sounds very spiritual, but deep in our heart, the passion is gone, the fire's died down, the joy has disappeared. What has happened to us? we got to get up from this rut that we've been content to live in. And notice what he says in verse number two. Put away the strange gods that are among you. Lay the idols aside. Is there anything you've fallen in love with that you love more than Jesus? What do you give your time, attention, affection to? When you lay in bed at night, where does your mind go? When you get up in the morning, what's your first agenda for the day? What consumes you through the day? You you may not be bowing down to a golden calf somewhere, but what's the idol that needs to be put away? Little children, John wrote, keep yourselves from idols. You must guard idolatry at every stage along this journey because good people, even God's people, can make themselves a golden calf and be led astray. Get up and put away the strange gods that are among you. Notice what he says. This is interesting. Be clean. Isn't it wonderful to get clean? By the way, only God can make you clean. It's wonderful. Get a bath, take a shower, get clean when you've been dirty and get all the nastiness off of you. Let me tell you what's really wonderful. It's wonderful when you come and you get your heart cleansed with the blood of Jesus. It's wonderful when you come, the washing of water by the word starts to cleanse your mind and you start thinking right again. There is nothing like when God makes a man clean, but you've got to be willing to be clean. Are you willing to confess and forsake your sin? People say, that's just the way I am, preacher. But that's not the way God wants you to be. Stop excusing your sin and blaming somebody else. We all have our besetting sins. Stop stop making room for it and allowing it and, and saying, well, it's not as bad as somebody else or it's not as bad as it used to be. Somewhere we got to say, enough of this sin. I want to be clean before a holy God. And then he not only had to get his heart right, he had to get his habits right. Look at the end of verse number two. He didn't just say, be clean. He said, change your garments. Somebody said, all right, preacher, you're going to preach on dress now. No, I think you missed the whole point here. Do you know what garments are? It's everyday life. It's the habits of life. They, they've been living in pagan lands. I have no doubt that even their clothing was associated with pagan practices and pagan things. And he says, if we're going to go into the presence of the thrice holy God, we can't go the way we are right now. Please don't miss this. It starts on the inside, but it doesn't stay on the inside. If your heart gets right with God, your habits will change. You lay aside sin, yes, and then you lay aside the weights as well. In fact, in Jude, he says, we're to hate even the garments spotted by the flesh. Paul uses this spiritual analogy in Ephesians chapter 5. He says we put off the things of the flesh and we put on the new man every day. He's using the, the picture of clothing. He says you lay aside the old clothes and you put on the new garments of holiness and of righteousness. So may I ask you a personal question? What needs to change in your everyday life? What's the thing right now that's keeping you from real fellowship and going on with God? If I had a dollar for every time I'd been in a meeting and heard them sing Revive Us Again, I'd be a very wealthy man. That's probably the most popular revival hymn out there, Revive Us Again. I like it. I really like it, but it's not my favorite revival hymn. My favorite revival hymn was written by a man named Johnson Oatman. He wrote a, wrote a song uh, that 
I think is, is fascinating. He talks about nothing being between my soul and the Savior. May I just ask you, is there anything between your soul and your Savior tonight? Anything? Oh, but it's small, preacher. Nothing is small if it keeps you from fellowship with God. Oh, but preacher, I, I, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Maybe we need to think about it. Is there anything that needs to be confessed and forsaken? Anything that needs to be reconciled? Anything that needs to be made right? Because if we're going to come into the presence of a holy God, look, please, we got to get our heart right. we got to be willing to let God change even the habits of our life. I thought this was interesting instead of this week. Jacob said, change your garments. But when they come down to verse number four, they actually took their earrings out and gave it to him. He didn't tell them to do that. You know what the earrings are? That's the smallest of things. This is interesting. I think these people were so sincere. They said, if you think we need to change and get rid of this stuff, we'll get rid of every little thing that might prevent us from going to this place where the presence of God is. I wonder... If maybe instead of making excuses, we ought not start saying, Dear Lord God, I want you to test every little thing in my life and tell me if there's anything here that grieves the sweet Holy Spirit of God. Is there anything in me that hurts the heart of Jesus? Is there anything in me that wounds the heart of the loving Heavenly Father? Is there anything in me that quenches the power of the Holy Spirit? Is there anything in me that holds back the blessing of heaven on my family? Is there anything in me that holds back God's fullest power from being upon my local New Testament church? Dear Lord, deal with that. And then he not only gets his heart right and his habits right, he gets his home right. This is interesting. It's not just Jacob. Jacob leads his family to the Lord. That doesn't mean you can choose for everybody else, but you can use your influence. You got any family that needs Jesus? Maybe we ought to start there. We want to talk about a burden for the world. How about a burden for our neighbors? How about the people that we live around? How about the people that we say we love most on earth? We must lead them to God. And he says to his family, hey, hey, I'm not just going to the presence of God. I want all of you to go with me. Hey, who are you leading to God right now? Who's your life leading to God? So they bring all their things. And I love what happens. Look at verse number four. They bury them. They hide them. Now, normally if you say hide, that means deceit and guile, but this wasn't. He was just obeying what God told him to do. I love this thought. Look, please. When man hides his sin, it's deceit. When God hides your sin, it's forgiven. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Hey, but we need to stop trying to cover it and let God cover it. And notice where he brings it. He brings it to a tree. And at the base of an old oak tree, they bury all those idols. You know where those idols came from, don't you? His wife's daddy. Remember, she, she stole Laban's idols. Remember that? You mamas and daddies, look at me just a minute. I want you to know, those things in your life that you excuse and think aren't so bad, they're affecting not just you, they're affecting your children. Your children will make idols, even greater idols, out of things that you've permitted and allowed you don't want that in your children. You don't want that in your grandchildren. Deal with it in your own life. Humble yourself. Look your own family in the face and say, kids, I just want you to know this isn't right. This doesn't please God. And your daddy's making things right with the Lord. That'll affect your children. Hmm. But Laban's daughter carried these idols away, and now, God help us. They're all worshiping these idols. Can you imagine? Israel, prince with God, met God at Bethel. Got a house full of idols. Hmm. 
And Jacob said, bring them all and bury them beneath the tree. Look, please, bring all your sin. Bring all your failures. Bring all your sinful bent. Bring all of it, every habit, every unholy, ungodly thing. Bring it all and bury it beneath the tree of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bring all of it to the cross. Can I show you something really interesting? Just a little little side note before we move on. Hold your place here. Go to the last chapter of Joshua. We love to quote Joshua chapter 24. Choose you this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We know that verse, right? Did you ever notice geographically where he was? Now pay real close attention now. Don't miss this. Look at Joshua 24, verse 24. The people said to Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in what place? Wait a minute. What's that place? Same place. Same place where Jacob led his family to put away their idols and their false gods and to follow one true and living God. Now Joshua's leading the whole nation of Israel to do the very same thing. Look at verse 26. Oh, I love this. Don't you love the word of God? And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under and what? Under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Let me just tell you, God doesn't do anything on accident. I'm going to tell you what happened. Joshua took the children of Israel back to the graveyard of the gods of Shechem and said, Daddy Jacob had to teach his children that those idols were dead and lifeless and could not help them. So they buried them right here, and we're going to bury ours again today. And we're going to make this the threshold moment that says we're not serving those dead gods. We're serving the one true and living God. Bury all the rest of them. Put it under the blood of Jesus. And let's follow Jesus for the rest of our lives. It always begins with preparation. There's a second word I want you to write down. Go back with me to our text, please, in Genesis 35 and write down the word consecration. Would you write down consecration? There was an altar in Shechem. He built an altar while he was in Shechem for that period of time. The problem was there was so much sin, the altar didn't do much good. The problem is not that we don't pray. We pray. Prayers aren't getting answered. Do you ever wonder why we're not getting more prayers answered? I mean, seriously. Every church I go into in America, people tell me, oh, preacher, we're praying for revival, praying for revival. Can I ask you a question? If that many sincere believers are praying for revival, why haven't we had revival? Could it be not that God doesn't want to give it, but that we haven't given ourselves to him? As is required. Let's read a little more in the story. You're back in Genesis 35. Pick it up in verse 5. They journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. That in itself is a miracle. God protected them in his will. You think it's dangerous to follow God? Hey, you think it's scary to follow God? I tell you, it's dangerous not to follow God. Look at verse 6. So Jacob came to Luz which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because their God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alambacath. 
And God appeared unto Jacob again. I just want to stop and say, aren't you glad for the word again? God speaks again. God draws again. God convicts again. God shows mercy again, again, and again, and again, and again, and again. The God of Bethel never changes. Peter said, stir yourself up by way of remembrance. I got to think, I got to think that when Jacob showed up at Bethel, he looked over yonder and said, that looks like the stone I used for the pillow that night. Look at those stones over there. I wonder, could that be the, the pillar that I made and poured the oil on? Prayed to God. Memory is a good thing if it's used in a righteous way. Some of us need to go back in our memory. Some of you need to go back to the day God saved you. Do you remember when God saved you? Remember what God did in your heart? Do you remember the night in a special meeting like this you got on your face and yielded your whole life to God and said, God, I'll do anything you want me to do? Go, stir yourself up. By way of remembrance, dear brother, dear sister, go back to that glorious day when the Holy Ghost of God moved on your heart in an amazing way and you had such a desire for souls. Whatever happened to that? They're back in Bethel now. Look at verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came out of Panoram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel should be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him. Even a pillar of stone. Now watch this carefully. And he poured a drink offering thereon. And he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Do you know what he does? He builds an altar again, a place of prayer. Do you know what an altar is? It's a place of sacrifice, of worship, of communion, of praise, of gratitude. How many of you are glad we don't have to bring sheep and goats to church anymore? Yes? No, no, you don't have to bring a sin offering because Jesus took care of all that. But there is an offering he wants. He wants a living sacrifice. Hebrews says he wants the sacrifice of praise continually. How long has it been since you brought yourself to God? When was the last time you stretched yourself out somewhere and said, God, you can have all of me. My eyes are yours. I'm not going to look at that anymore. These eyes don't belong to me. They belong to you. And Lord, I'm not going to listen to that anymore because these are your ears and they're to be holy ears. And this mouth is yours. Lord, I've been critical and I've gossiped and torn people down, but these are your lips, Lord. Forgive me. I give them to you. And Lord, this is your mind. It's thought, dirty thoughts and wicked thoughts, but I give it to you. Renew me in the spirit of my mind. Give me the mind of Christ. I consecrate it all to you. Lord, my spirit, my soul, my body, you bought and paid for all of it. All of it belongs to Jesus and I consecrate all of it to Christ again. Watch, please, sir. All of your business. All of it. All of your family. Are you listening? All of your family. All of your decisions. All of your future. Not some of it. All of it. Jesus isn't worthy of leftovers. He's worthy of the first fruits. He's worthy of it all. And so he comes to the altar. And did you notice what kind of offering he offers? It's a drink offering. 
A drink offering was an offering literally that was just poured out. By the way, when you pour it out, you never gather it back up. Anything that is poured out immediately dissipates into the ground. It is gone. Watch this, please. When you offer your life to God, it is not a little bit. It is all of it. And it is not for a little time. It is forever. And it is not so you can get part of it back later. It is to say, Lord, it is all given to you. Hymn writer wrote, is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid. Your heart does the Savior control. I ask you tonight, when was the last time you had a moment of real consecration? You know what we need? Some of us need to go home tonight. Instead of turning the TV on, we need to get in a quiet place, go in a room, shut the door, and get down on our faces and just have a good season of confession to God and reconsecration to God and say to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to go through the motions any longer. I don't want this just to be another year that I check off the calendar and live until I die. I want to be what you saved me to be and become the man or woman that you created me to become. There's a third thing that happens, and I'll give it to you quickly and be done. Number one, there's preparation, getting right with God. Number two, there's consecration, giving all to the Lord. Number three, there's a transformation. This man's different after this moment. Now, you'd have thought he'd been different before, but he really is from this point on. A couple things happen. Number one, his view of God is different. Did you notice he changed the name? Now, it was Luz, and then it became Bethel, but he changed it again. Anybody notice that we read a moment ago? Mark this in your Bible. In verse 7, he calls the place, mark this, verse 7, El Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Would you like to guess what El Bethel means? El Bethel means the God of the house of God. Oh, I like this. He got beyond the place to the person. Sometimes we get enamored with the blessings of God. Maybe you need to stop thinking so much about the blessings, start thinking more about the blesser. We're pretty good at enjoying the gifts. Maybe we need to back up and think about the giver for just a minute. Matter of fact, let me just show you something. Hold your place here, okay? Stay with me. Go to the book of Hosea for a second. Go to Hosea. Look at Hosea chapter number 12. Did you know Bethel is mentioned throughout the Old Testament many, many times? We'll come back to it again Monday night and Tuesday night to some of these scriptures. But look at Hosea. That's a great revival book. Hosea chapter 12 and verse number 4. It's talking about Jacob. Look at verse 3. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. By his strength, he had power with God. That's Jacob. Verse 4, yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept, made supplication unto him. That's the night. He wrestled with the angel at the break of day. But look at the end of verse number 4. This is the exact scripture we're studying tonight. I love this statement. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. Can I ask you a question? Everybody stare at that phrase in verse 4. He found him in Bethel. Who found who? We might be tempted to think Jacob found God, but no. Mm -mm. If you look at the grammar of the verse carefully, God found Jacob. Sometimes people say, I found the Lord. I understand what people mean by that, but let me tell you really what happens. Uh, the Lord finds us because we don't seek him. See, most of us didn't even come in this room tonight really chasing after God. But I got good news. The Lord's been pursuing you, my friend. And Bethel's where God captured him. Oh, Lord, capture me. Oh, God. Let Calvary conquer this stubborn, sinful heart. 
I know me. I know me better than you know me. And God knows me better than I know me. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Oh, Lord, conquer this wicked heart of mine. But be careful. Don't make it about Bethel. No, no. It's got to move from Bethel to El Bethel. Not to the from house of God, but to the God of the house of God. You're, you're close. Turn over to Amos. Just go right about three or four pages. You'll be there. Look at Amos. Amos chapter 3. God said he's going to judge Bethel. He said, I'll also visit the altars of Bethel. He said, there's going to come a day. I'm sick of your religion. I'm sick of your formality. I'm sick of you going through the motions. He said, I'll visit the altars of Bethel. I'll tear them down. Look at chapter 5, verse number 4. For thus saith the Lord, Amos 5, verse 4. Thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel. You should mark that in your Bible. Sometimes young people go off to summer camp and they get right with God and then summer camp became, becomes symbolic for them of every good thing so they think they've got to get to summer camp to get right with God. Listen to me. Don't seek summer camp, young people. Seek the God you met at summer camp. People come to a revival meeting, hear a preacher, and they think, if I could just get back to that church, if I could just get back and hear that preacher again. Brother, if you've got to get back to a church building or to a man to get right with God, you've missed the whole thing. Stop seeking Bethel and start seeking the God of Bethel. He says in verse 5, seek not Bethel. Look at verse 6, seek the Lord. You should mark the first phrase of verse 5, the first phrase of verse 6, and connect the two in your Bible and in your heart don't seek a thing, a person, an emotion, an experience. A man said to me this week, I was talking to him about getting right with God. He said, well, I just always thought there'd be some kind of emotion. I don't know. I felt like I was waiting on some feeling. Let me just tell you something. You wait on feelings, your heart will lie to you. Your feelings will deceive you. Feelings may never come. You come in simple repentance and faith and take God His word, and God will meet you right where you are. Don't trust your heart. Trust God and seek the Lord. And what happens to Jacob? His whole view of God changes. He suddenly realizes it's not about the place, it's about God who meets him there. And guess what happens at the same time? His view of himself changes. It's a funny thing, but when you actually see God like God is, you start seeing you like you are. And you see people like they are and life like it is and the world as it is because when God's in his rightful place, God puts everything in the rightful place. Did you ever notice back in Genesis chapter number 35 that God repeats the name change from Jacob to Israel? He's already done that once. He's already said to him and the rest of the angel will change your name from Jacob to Israel. Why does he repeat it? Because now, now it's going to be really confirmed and sink in. Now Jacob's going to start using the new name. Now, now Jacob's going to start finding his identity and purpose not in who he is or what he can do, but in who God is and what God wants to do with him. And it all happens when he goes back to Bethel. In the verses that follow in Genesis 35, there are deaths and there are births. His wife will die. A baby will be born. In recent days, I've seen both. I've wept with those who've wept and rejoiced with those who've rejoiced. Strange, isn't it? A loved one dies, we go to the cemetery and we weep and sorrow, mourn. And then someone says, a baby's been born, and we laugh, rejoice. Can I tell you what that is? That's life. And I don't know what this year will hold for any of us. It will, it will hold some deaths. It will hold some births. 
please hear me with your heart just a moment. Jacob wouldn't be ready for any of the deaths or any of the births or any other part of his life if he wasn't living in the presence of God. And there's not a person in this room right now, including the man talking to you, that can deal with whatever we're going to have to deal with in this coming year if we don't get back to Bethel, get thoroughly right with God, and let the Lord be in our lives what the Lord ought to be in our lives. Would you take your hymn book out that's there in your pew? Everybody find your hymn book. And don't get nervous. I really am not going to sing. I promise. I'm threatening it, but I'm not going to sing. There's a hymn I want you to see. I don't know if you sing it here or not. I don't know how often I ever hear anybody sing it, but it's in your hymn book. It's hymn 407. It was written by a great old Christian named B.B. McKinney. Interesting title. I almost think he'd been studying Genesis 35 when he wrote this song. What do you think? Back to the Bible, McKinney wrote. True living word. Sweetest old story that ever was heard. Back to the joy life my soul longs to know. Bethel is calling and I must go. Back to the beautiful path I once trod. Back to the church and the people of God. Out of the cold world of sin and its woe. Bethel is calling and I must go. Back to the giving of money and time. Back to the life of contentment sublime. Back to protection the world cannot know Bethel is calling and I must go. Back to the prayer life in Christ I once knew. Back to its beautiful life cleansing dew. Back to help others to conquer each foe. Bethel is calling and I must go. Look at the chorus. Back to Bethel I must go. Back where the rivers of sweet waters flow. Back to the true life my soul longs to know. Bethel is calling and I must go. Can you hear the God of Bethel speaking to you tonight? Been a while, huh? How long has it been? No, seriously, how long has it been since you found something in the Bible just on your own reading of Scripture and were so excited you couldn't wait to tell somebody? How long? How long since you had a definite answer to prayer? How long until you couldn't wait to get at church and you didn't want to hurry out when the service was over? How long? How long has it been that you wept for a sinner? fasted and prayed, got out of bed and down on your face in the middle of the night to seek the Lord. How long? How long since you hungered and thirsted after righteousness? Look, I'm preaching to me tonight. I'm thinking about those early days as a young boy preacher, preaching little country churches up in the mountains, weeping through sermons because I was just so overcome that God would let me serve Him. What happened to us? Couldn't get enough of the Bible. Wanted to pray. What happened to us? I tell you, Jacob, we're prone to wander. But got good news, good news. God is where he's always been. And if you come back to Bethel, the Lord will meet you there. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. 
Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit, and don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.